0: Welcome to The Heal Podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Hello, welcome to the Heal Podcast. My name is Tara Bradham-Denai. I am your very sick host right now, so I probably sound a little bit off. Hopefully I'll be feeling better soon. But I have a big announcement for you today before we introduce our guest, and that is that our Heal Retreat is this weekend. So we're only doing it twice a year now, in October and April. So you don't want to miss out. It's totally free. It's just donation-based, but we want you to be able to come no matter what. So if you cannot pay anything, please come. We want you there. That's why it's free. So at thehealministry.com, you can sign up. It's a little bit of worship, a very short message. We have breakouts where you can either do your own introvert thing or connect with other people to just have community amidst your similarities and differences, fighting this battle of pain to honor God amidst it. So it is short, it's an hour and 15 minutes, so it shouldn't be too overwhelming. And we really hope to see you there. So sign up for free at thehealministry.com. Today on the show, we have Clarissa Moll, who is an author and a podcaster. She was many things before she lost her husband, Rob, a couple years ago, and she says that now that grief has transformed her life, and arguably even where she's feeling called. So she is doing a lot of grief work now, counseling people through their grief journeys. That even led her to writing the afterword to one of Rob's books called The Art of Dying. So why are we talking about that on the Heal podcast? Dying doesn't seem like... Like it's very healing. But first off, one, if you're a believer, dying is the ultimate form of healing because you get to go forever to be with our Savior. But also, more than that, I am not naive enough to believe that some of you haven't been given a terminal diagnosis and maybe you really are staring death in the face. And so, what does that look like if the answer right now for your physical healing from God has been no? What does that look like to die well as a Christian, to lead others to Christ even amidst your death for your? Death to be a testimony. That's one reason, but then also. We face death every day, especially as people who live with pain and limitation. We're having to die to ourselves, and then we also have to reconcile with the death of dreams and hopes for our lives that maybe we're not living with right now in the way that we thought we once could. So that's a little bit of the heart of why I'm having Clarissa on the show. She speaks deep into these wounds and also brings life into these places where in this upside-down kingdom, grief can be used to make something so, so beautiful when it is surrendered to the Lord. So I want to leave you with this verse from Romans 14, seven through nine. For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. May God add his blessing to this word. May he teach us to number our days and may you enjoy this incredible conversation with Clarissa mall Clarissa, thank you so much for joining us here today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. So thank you for being here. Welcome to the Heal Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Will you tell people a little bit? we They have no idea when people join who's on the show. I have all kinds of guests. Who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing these days? Share a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I am a mom of four children,
1: and I live in a tiny New England town north of Boston. It is beautiful this time of year because the leaves are falling and changing colors. It's hmm. just a really pretty place to be. I am an author. Uh, It's been my career to write for nonprofits, doing marketing and storytelling for nonprofits. And in the last two years, I've pivoted in my writing career to write particularly for people who are grieving, to be a companionship support to them on their grief journey. My husband died in 2019 in a hiking accident in Mount Rainier National Park on our family vacation. And so of course. His death has created a seismic shift in our lives and we're in the process of rebuilding now.
0: Yeah. So I see your blog. I was all over that and things that you write. Are there other places you write? You talked about Hope Writers. What are ways people can connect with some of your writing?
1: So I am the co-host of Christianity Today's Surprised by Grief podcast, and I also host Hope Writers, the Writerly Life podcast. So that's in particular for writers who are looking to write a joyful new story and learn to balance the art of writing with the business of publishing. And I write regularly for Christian outlets such as Relevant Magazine and the Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today. I have a lot of fun writing for various places, and it's a joyful part of my life right now.
0: Yeah, is a book on your heart, or are you no? Because it seems
1: like you're writing all over. Yeah, so my book will be released next year with Tindale. It's called Congrats uh, Beyond. Oh, thank you. It's called Beyond the Darkness: A Gentle Guide for Walking with Grief and Thriving After Loss. And I'm excited about this. It's a very practical, gospel-infused resource for folks who are grieving or trying to figure out how best they can walk beside somebody who's grieving. So I'm excited to get it into readers' hands in just a bit.
0: Yeah. Do you know what month it's coming out? It's not available for pre-order yet, is it? Not available for pre-order yet, but hopefully soon. Yeah. It'll
1: it'll be released in July of 2022.
0: Okay. And then your husband- also wrote. He has two books, which I can see in the background, which I read. And that's you're both writing, which is incredible. And then you ended up writing a new afterword for one of his books, which is how I found out about you with my connection with that publisher. And so will you tell us a little bit? I know you briefly shared, obviously, how this grief journey started, but how did you end up writing the afterword? What is a little bit of... Rob's legacy. I know that's hard, but just briefly. uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, in 2010, my husband Rob published a book called The Art of Dying, Living Fully Into the Life to Come. And this book was really the fruit of an experience that he had had as a journalist reporting on the Terry Schiavo case back about euthanasia and right to die. And he really was wrestling with how Christians could come to a place of Of dying that was not fraught with ethical questions. And so he became a hospice volunteer. He began working at a funeral home in town to try to get as close to people who were grieving and dying as he could to really begin to understand them, to listen to their stories, and to discover afresh, or, or maybe just in a new way, what it meant for Christians to die well, So it feels like a tragic irony in some ways that in his 30s, he wrote a book about dying and 10 years later, he would die suddenly himself but I consider it a particular blessing that he left his words mm-hmm. to be enjoyed by so many, even in his absence. And so it was a gift to be able to write the afterword to The Art of Dying. It was released in expanded edition this year, back in the spring, beautiful new cover. And my words are in the back. And, you know, in some ways, you know, we work together for all of our marriage, writing and editing together. And we always said, you know, we're going to, we Gotta write a book together someday, mm-hmm. and uh, so in some way it is a it is a joy for me to see our words together on the page, and it's a little lasting gift of love, kind of a symbol of our life together and our marriage. And yeah, so I love to share his words with other people.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you're already making me tear up a little bit. This is what this (laughs) happens. And you're doing all these interviews. This is what you do now all day, processing Mm -hmm. grief, helping other people process grief. So I'm hoping you can share some of how you do that. You can have a bright smile on your face, but I read the afterward. I know this is no walk in the park for you. Mm -hmm. First off, just how are you right now? And I know Rob talks about like research showing that two years is... I guess probably minimum of grief of you going through all these stages and it's been just over two years, I think now since he passed away. Yeah. I mean, how are you really doing on like an honest level of someone like, how can she be this upbeat? And obviously you're like, yes, I'm Uh an author doing interviews, but yeah. How's that going? Well, I think
1: uh, if you talk to anybody who has lost a loved one, you know that some days are, some days are easier than others. Some days it's hard to get out of bed and, you just want to pull those covers back over your head and go back to sleep, maybe forever, just to block out the world. And then other days you wake up and you say, I can do this. I'm going to, I'm going to be able to get through this. And I think that's where grief is such a, a puzzling and confounding experience because it's not a simple uh, five stages from denial to acceptance. Mm-hmm. It is not a linear path. It's like a companion who arrives with a suitcase packed on your front uh, step and decides to Move in and it affects every part of your life. And even, you know, for us, as we are now into year three of Rob's absence from us, you know, grief doesn't feel the same as it did at the very beginning, but it doesn't mean that I miss him any less. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that it hurts any less. My life is just growing around that grief in new ways. And and so, yeah, I can I can smile and I can cry. I can experience the wide range of emotions that come with loss. And I can pursue flourishing, even though grief is a, a unique form of
0: suffering that really honestly never leaves. Yeah. We talk a lot about suffering on this podcast, a lot physically, but it's, it's all intertwined, emotional, physical, mental, spiritual. And so as I was reading your books, thinking about what you're dealing with, I was like, it's interesting. People are like, why are you interviewing someone about basically death and the art of dying? First off, I want to say some of my family members have read this book. I was reading it at the doctor's office. She's like, the lady there was like, my dad read that book. And so it, it really is profound because people were, we just don't talk about this much. I was reading it at the swim center and the lady was like, what are you reading? And I, I told her and she was like, she's from Germany. And she's like, you know what? Americans have no idea how to live or die. And I was like, good for you for reading that. (laughs) I was like, okay. So anyway, just the pervasiveness of this book, but ultimate healing we consider, and we do talk about on this show is heaven. But at the same time, when Rob left you, he did get ultimate healing. You know that that he is experiencing complete healing there, but it's like this mortal wound you got from that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a a weird twist to me that someone's ultimate healing leaves a wound that I don't think we ever get over on this side of eternity. And so how for you can that mortal wound on your side lead you to the gospel instead of away from it? Because a lot of people are like, God didn't heal my mom. He didn't do, you know, intervene in this way. He could have put something there to where Rob didn't fall. And yet I think there is a way to to have death lead you to the gospel. What What is that?
1: Well, I think for all believers, we are headed to the same destiny, right? When we trusted Jesus and and his word in our lives, we we signed on to a story that we know in reality has not met its final ending yet. And so, you know, as we face the woundedness of grief, we face it with a very full reality of what is: that that death is real, that death is painful, that death severs something in in us and in the world that we we know just isn't the way it's meant to be. Right? It, it reveals to us the brokenness of the world, but we're also fully aware that this is only part of the narrative arc of the gospel for us. That. We're not done yet. That even I I would be so bold to say our person who we've lost is not done yet because God has not redeemed all things yet. And so in some ways, there can be found a hope there that uh, we're still all very much in the midst of our story. I think about uh, Hebrews 11, it talks about the communion of saints, mm-hmm. those who have gone on before to be with the Lord, who are cheering us on, you know, this yeah. great cloud of witnesses that stands before us. And those, you know, I I, I like to think about Rob's face when I read those verses, that mm-hmm. that he's there. It's not just this faceless mass of people, but that he stands in a place cheering me on as I continue my course. And those we love have Finished their earthly course. And that is incredibly difficult. And the pain of that is entirely because of the fall. And yet, we are called to continue running our race with faithfulness, just as they did theirs, knowing that our destiny together is a renewed creation. It is a new heavens, a new earth that will be the fulfillment of all of our longings. And to some extent, you know, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Our loved ones experience that now. And yet, not in fullness. And I think when I think about that, you talk about being mortally wounded, yes, for now, but not forever. Hmm.
0: And I think even in Revelation, isn't that the wording, it's a mortally wounded lamb that Jesus is, right? I didn't even think about that until just now, but I don't know why I chose that wording. I don't know if that came from Rob or myself, (laughs) but that, yeah, he's the mortally wounded lamb who then defeats everything forever. Mm -hmm. So I like that. Mortally wounded for this lifetime. Mm -hmm. but then coming back. Oh, so good. And that is, that is the hope that we have. I, I want to know how your life has tangibly changed. I mean, think about this. Maybe if Rob had never worked in hospice, Uh all of that. I mean, it's great to think about all these things and talk about them, but then on a practical level, how have you seen your life changed? Just being aware of death, because I don't think most Americans I wouldn't say are aware of death, but I mean, yeah, read Rob's book, right? We aren't, we try to push it away as much as we can. How has that changed how you live practically?
1: Well, you know, speaking about it in terms of chronic illness, I realized I have a chronic illness. Mm. I am, I am mortal. That is my chronic illness. Uh, You know, that, that this, that there is nothing that I can do to, take this away, that it's really an issue of management, if you will, to talk about it in chronic illness language that the best that I can do is to manage my condition well. Mm -hmm. And so for what that that means for me is reckoning with my mortality. It means facing this thing that I would love to run away from, that everything in our culture beckons me to run away from, from Mm -hmm. anti-aging skincare to all of the really extreme forms of death-defying medical practices and interventions that we might pursue in fear of our mortal end. Mm-hmm. You know, the world tells me keep running, keep running, but reckoning with that chronic condition of my mortality actually brings peace. Mm-hmm. It brings a lot of rest for me. I can say, "All right, I can't control tomorrow, so how am I going to live today really, really well?" Yeah. And I think that's what Rob meant when he talked about looking at dying as a pathway to living well. That when we think about dying, when we talk about it with our loved ones, or even if we meditate meditate on it ourselves, it really gives us a perspective that allows us to live well.
0: Yeah. So. Why is it so good to talk about death instead of not? Because people can listen to this and move on with their day. We want them, hopefully, for this podcast to spur something in them. Why is this conversation so important and not just, oh, you're being so morbid conversation?
1: Sure. Well, I think that when we reckon with the way things really are, we can adjust our lives accordingly. And I think that's the first thing, that mm-hmm. if you if you walk around on a broken leg and you deny it, you're only causing yourself more pain. Yeah. It's when you stop and you say, this hurts, I need to see a doctor that a path forward is created for you. Mm-hmm. And there are so many things in our lives that are related to our fear of death. And and I'm not talking here about, you know, extreme adventure sports or anything like that. You know, it could be yeah, yeah. you might see this in relationships. Your your tendency to cling to people mm-hmm. instead of allow them to freely uh, move about in the world. Your tendency to cling to possessions or mm-hmm. to strive for money or position. All of these things are, at their root, their their gestures of fear. And what are we afraid of? We're fear. We're afraid of not being loved as we are. We're afraid of of dying and being forgotten. And when we are able to reckon with death we find that we're able to let go of all kinds of other things in our lives that have bogged us down. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not easy. It's certainly not easy. And I don't want to romanticize it in any way, because I will be the first to tell you, I don't want to die. And having lived through grief, I don't want to have my absence be the cause of sorrow for others. And yet, I am aware that the things that we fear most tend to have the most power over us. And when we turn to them in honesty, we may be surprised at the wisdom that can be gained in looking at the things we fear full in the face.
0: Yeah. General George Patton, who I have no idea what were he fought and what he did, so I am I just like his quote, but he, he says, fear kills more people than death. Hmm. And especially with what's going on right now in our world, I, I just am sitting here and that's, you know, how many times does Jesus say in the Bible, do not be afraid. So I, I love that you say that. I almost, when you're talking, I feel like this is a practical, spiritual practice for us to think about death. And you think about the tithe and that's giving the first part of your money, because it's saying, I trust you with my money that you're going to provide for me, God. And then you look at Sabbath, which a lot of us have fallen by the wayside. I see a movement where everyone's coming back to Sabbath, because that's saying, God, I trust you with my time, that you're going to allow me to do what needs to be done if I give you this day of rest. And I feel like then looking at death, it's like, this is, I don't know, my, my tithe of reckoning with my mortality or something, that if I give you this Time to think about this. My emotions. You're going to help me live better. And we do not think about death as a spiritual practice, right?
1: No, no. And and yet the Psalms tell us, you know, pray they pray. Teach us to number our days, O Lord, yeah. that we can have a a heart that is oriented rightly toward wisdom. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the Gospels, we heard the admonition, you know, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. You know, a, a sense of our finiteness and a warning against. You know, planning out so far into into the future that we really have hedged all our bets mm-hmm. against our d- own demise. So I think you're right. Throughout Scripture, we're encouraged to practice yeah. as some introspection that I mm-hmm. think we we don't do all that often now.
0: Yeah. So the art of dying is the title of rob's book and he talks about even things like how a lot of us die in hospitals now and a lot of times when people die they have visions which you know people who are not christians might say well this is just your brain chemicals acting and creating things but for christians watching people die that that can be a testimony in itself right and i believe he said that he would want to maybe die slowly, which is most people's worst fear, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, I don't want to die from cancer. Please don't let me suffer. Please take me in a car wreck, take me in my sleep. And I'm curious if your opinion changed, like going through all of this thought. This is such a, it seems like an odd question on how you would like to die or how you would like your death to be a testimony to people. Yeah. Well, you
1: know, Rob said that he wanted to die slowly because it was an opportunity to make things right, to close up shop in the way that you would hope to, to reckon with your relationships, to make amends, to say the words that you wanted to say. And of course, he didn't get to do any of that in his last moments. But, you know, there's. There is, no, there is no death that's worse or better than another when it comes down to it. I think a death that's infused with fear is really tragic. If we can meet our ends with peace, that is beautiful, but that doesn't have to be in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can be a lifelong practice and posture toward our mortality that happens long before our actual dying hour. But when it comes down to it, you know, I don't, I don't know what I would prefer. I, I think in the end, glad you
0: don't have to choose. Maybe there you
1: go. All, all death causes pain for those who are left behind. And the fragility of our of our bodies is is hard to reckon with, wh- whether you think about uh, dying suddenly or dying in a more extended kind of or protracted kind of experience.
0: Yeah, I think there are some practical things that come from this book, like please write a will and those kinds of things. But I was also reading a book recently about heaven and and this man who the author also worked in hospice. And he said, you know, the crazy thing is, is people always ask me, how many deathbed conversions do you see? And he said, truly, very, very few that most people die in the way that they lived. (laughs) And so I think my goal after reading Rob's book is to say, okay, I want to live well and regardless of what that end is, whenever it is, you know, he didn't know it was coming and he still said, I love you as he went out, right? Before the hike.
1: That's right, yeah, yeah and and then that is because we do not know the future, you know, our planning has limitations, right? you yeah. can you can make a will and you can get life insurance and I heartily commend folks who do those things. I think they're responsible, I think as mundane as they seem to be, they are tremendous acts of love towards your person. Mm-hmm. you can make plans for the disbursement of your belongings, but in the end, it is really about your posture toward God in your life and that really matters because you may or may not be given uh, last minute opportunities to make changes to your life or to your decisions before you die.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, Clarissa, shifting gears a little bit, you talked about the fragility of life, yes. the, the fragility of your own life. And as I was reading Rob's other book, which is... What your body knows about God, right? Mm -hmm, That's right. Fascinating, especially for people who think about the body and spirituality all the time. But he shared some of your story, which I would love for you to share with people that this has been a real thing of you reckoning with your body. And so I think he had a really good quote that I would like to read. So he talks about postpartum, the stuff that you are struggling with. And Rob said, How could I stand in awe of God's glorious design of our bodies? when things could go so badly wrong? How could I assert with any confidence that we are so wonderfully designed and capable of deep connections with others and with God when our sanity depends on a few grams of serotonin in the brain? So how do you see the sovereignty of God? And and maybe just sharing, starting with what has been your story through some of those imbalances following the birth of your fourth child? Yeah. So I think
1: I am a person who is wired for anxiety. It's a gift of my DNA (laughs) and also a product of my life experiences. So uh, much of my adult life has been a journey of coming to grips with that reality of the chemical imbalances of anxiety in my brain and what that means for my life. And after the birth of my fourth child, I was diagnosed with postpartum anxiety and panic disorder, and it radically shifted the way it it had tremendous influence on my body physically, but it radically shifted the way our family operated, just trying to make space for anxiety Mm -hmm. and the accommodations that I needed to make to be healthy again. And when Rob wrote, "What Your Body Knows About God," yes, he's right. Things are very badly broken. We we live in bodies that God called good, and yet they're under the curse too. And you know, as we wrestle with these seemingly disparate realities, we come to see that that their goodness and their brokenness is God's revelation to us there too and it are are the goodness of our bodies as well as the brokenness can be places where god meets us so is god sovereign over our bodies yes certainly and yet we live under the curse and so a lot of what we need to reckon with as and this is a daily reckoning this is not a one and done that's for sure with a chronic pain chronic illness is a wrestling with how god can be good in the midst of this and i mm. find that for me it's been anxiety has been a place where jesus meets me uniquely mm. that it's certainly something i never would want to have to experience i would never want to have the limitations that come with a chronic illness like that and yet this is a place that jesus invites me to meet him and so when i do when i choose to have that posture about my anxiety I find him sweet and good and beautiful there too.
0: Yeah. The dependence, right? I was talking to my friend yesterday on just, we realize when we get stretched to our full capacity, what it really means to have to depend on God, which to be honest, a lot of Americans might not even get to that place in their lifetimes. And yet I think people who struggle with maybe a mental illness, maybe a physical one were pushed to that place. Mm-hmm. where we have to say your grace is sufficient. And and this is no joke as far as like, I've been given more compassion today and in the past few days, like my hormones are incredibly imbalanced right now. And to the point where I'm like, I feel like I have a mental illness right now, truly. And just like the compassion for there is, there are chemicals in my body that are making me feel very not okay. And I am looking at this, speaking of compassion, and I, I there are just – a ton of quotes I had to read from Rob's books because they're just so good. But this was a fascinating thought to me because he said that your struggle leads you to finding more compassion for the weights others carry. It is there where suffering turns to compassion that the questions provoked by suffering find their resolution. I sh- I had, that needs like another time to take that in. It is where the questions provoked by suffering find their resolution is in compassion. Explain that for us.
1: Well, there's not a single person who's immune to suffering. So in a sense, that statement, it qualifies everybody, Mm -hmm. right? That we are all qualified to give and receive compassion because all of us suffer. And so it's really about identifying our suffering, sitting with it, growing in our understanding of weakness as a source of connection. And like Mm -hmm. you say, interdependence there, you know, we're not, we are not Poster children. We're not intended to be poster children for victory, but we're intended to develop empathy for one another because of the things that collectively and individually that we have
0: endured. We are not meant to be poster children for victory. That's right. Wow. (laughs) And yet, you know, I believe that we're supposed to fight from victory, not for Mm -hmm. it. There is victory in Christ. But what do you mean by that? Because we are supposed to live in victory, but the vulnerability is how people connect to us. Dig into that. Yeah.
1: Well, I I think that uh, victory is a... Is a dangerous word because mm-hmm. what the world calls victory is not ever what Jesus calls victory. Yeah. So yeah. if if you think that living in victory means triumphalism, means conquering, it means I, I would even say healing. Sometimes that mm-hmm. if if these are your only definitions of healing, I think or of victory, I think you're going to. Be pretty disappointed over time because uh, that that victory is hollow. It is hard, hard, hard to come by. I would even argue impossible to come by, mm-hmm. and and you're just going to come up disappointed every time. But the victory that Jesus offers is interdependence. It is dependence on Him. So you're considered a winner. You know, you think about the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those are the winners. Mm-hmm if we want to talk about victory. So if you desire a victorious life and you want to live from victory, mm-hmm. you need to make sure that you are defining victory by the standards that that Jesus defines it. Yeah, And I do think that some of our struggle is wanting to use the world's definitions of victory and superimpose those onto our lives. Hmm. So we don't have compassion, and this is where they're connected. We don't have compassion for others. We we assume that they can pull themselves up by their bootstraps, or maybe they need to try a little harder or more dangerous for the Christian. Maybe they need to pray a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. And we we have uh, twisted what it means to, to be a winner, to be victorious in Christ. Hmm. Because when we realize that for Jesus, the posture of victory, was surrender, that his surrender on the cross was actually his victory, mm-hmm. then we realize, oh, okay, so my weakness isn't so bad. So acknowledging my meekness, that might be the victory that I need to have in my life. And when I acknowledge my weakness, it inevitably opens up my heart to compassion for others.
0: Yeah. The upside down kingdom, right? That's but right. at the same same yeah. time, There is a real victory coming that kind of more matches the world standards, right? Where Jesus will come back with a sword coming out of his mouth on a horse. Yay, there are horses in heaven. I love that part. Uh And, you know, he will make all things right. Maybe not in the way that we think, but I think that will be an ultimate victory. And so it's interesting because I think so much of our world models things that God has put in the heart of man, Mm -hmm. that we desire victory because I think there will be ultimate victory. And yet in this life, it seems like. We have to almost live backwards until everything is made right at the end. That's right. Does that make sense at all? That's right. Because the
1: victory that we experience now is that upside down kingdom. It is the last being first and things all mixed up. And yet what you talk about the ultimate victory that we have in Jesus is is still our hope. We live in that hope because we know that his kingdom is inaugurated now, mm-hmm. that it is growing and flourishing even when we can't see it, but there's still so much that's wrong in the world. And so that victory still is a hope for us as we mm-hmm. live that that backwards and upside down way of Jesus until he comes with the
0: ultimate victory and redemption for us. If we did not have revelation, let's say, or if we did not have the hope of ultimate victory or ultimate healing. What would life look like for the Christian? Do you think?
1: Well, I, uh, you know, the apostle Paul says, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. Mm-hmm. So I think that without the, without the end of the story, the culmination of all of God's good intentions for us, I think we would be left to grieve as those who have no hope mm-hmm. because we have a sense of the arc of what God is doing because we have his promises written there for us. I think we can endure the things that we are called to endure in this life and and not end up hopeless yeah. because we know that a better way is still to come.
0: Yeah. It seems like a kind of antithetical question because then that would almost not be defined as a Christian anymore, right? <laughs> so that was, that was a great answer. Way to take that curveball. But in this whole thing victory comes through death in the christian life right so full circle all the way back to death then we're saying how do we die well physically realistically but i think there's a deeper level of that of to live in victory over these things is to to die well daily right <laughs> to die to ourselves i mean that in the bible let's i mean killing our flesh it is this graphic image of crucify yourself like take up this cross every day and you know when people talk to me and they're like oh well like Christians just use God as a crutch cuz they can't get through life on their own. In a way I yes, but also in a way like it makes life a little bit more difficult in in a lot of areas of I actually really like a lot of things about my personality. And I have gotten to the point now where I've grown enough that I don't see those parts of me that I had 10 years ago. And I I really wish they were there. I, like I liked anger. I I still like anger and that feels like a loss to me, a severe, that sounds, just being totally honest with my personality, it sounds weird to say that, but it is more freeing, but it's, it is absolute death to ourselves. How do you think informing us of real physical death can help us inform dying to ourselves daily? How do we do that? Or how do you do that?
1: Well, anyone who has lost a loved one I think is forced to reckon with mortality in a new way. And You can allow this reckoning with mortality to kind of calcify you, to harden you, or you can allow it to break you open and offer you perspective and wisdom. And I think it's when we do this, when we experience that renewed or new perspective because of our brush with death, because of the reckoning that we must do with our mortality, it can shape our character. So for example, you know, I've lost my husband and it has taught me that life is very short. So therefore I choose not to hold grudges Mm -hmm. because I want to be a person who is more open to to forgiveness. I want to be a person who is more charitable, more generous with my love and not worry about the response. And and these are the things that I have learned to do in my daily life because I've lost someone that I love. And you don't have to lose someone that you love To have that kind of perspective shifting character uh, development in your life, you can take any moment of suffering in your life, whether it is a physical difficulty or a relational struggle. You know, I talked to. To folks who have lost their spouse through divorce, who have a child who's really struggling, and you know, it any of these these little deaths in our lives—the deaths of ambition or deaths of our hopes or dreams for what our future would look like—we can all allow those to shape within us a dying of our flesh in our day to day and if we allow those things to shape us our sufferings to shape us we can become more like jesus and and i think the world needs more of that for us to you know people will often say i don't want my suffering to be wasted mm-hmm. and that's as though suffering were some sort of commodity you know that we've got to spend well mm-hmm. and i think your suffering is your suffering it's just It's just hard. You don't need to become an object lesson or a motivational speech for anybody else. But I hope that when we suffer, we take a moment to consider what that means for us now. God may not answer the kind of why questions that we wish that he would answer about why bad things happen to us, Mm -hmm. but we can ask what next? What, What will I do with what has happened to me? Will I allow it to open my heart to become more Christ-like? Or will I sort of turn inward and not allow my character to develop in the ways that it could if I were willing to endure?
0: Yeah. So you talk about letting yourself being broken apart. Mm -hmm. And then in this letting God work this death for our good and part of that is our choice, right? That the, this dichotomy and part of it only God can do in us, right? And so when we have this conversation about death, I think it's incomplete if we don't have a conversation also about resurrection. Mm-hmm. But as you're talking, I don't know that resurrection is something we do in ourselves. I don't I don't know that we can. Is that the part that God has to come in? And do for us. He's the one who resurrected his son. He has to say, okay, here are our broken pieces and, and he resurrects us. Does yeah, that resonate? Definitely. Make sense? Yeah,
1: you know, God has created us with a marvelous intention and design. He has created our bodies to repair themselves. He has he has created us down to ourselves to to be resilient people. and um, you think about a child who breaks a bone a that bone is strong again in six weeks it's a, it's amazing mm-hmm. our cells regenerate we are we are made to be resilient people and that is a blessing and a gift to people who are grieving to know that you can you are built to live again mm-hmm. even after the death blow of the loss of your loved one yes. but resurrection is something that only god can do and that's the beauty of the gospel that he offers us not just that we're built, you know, physically for resilience, but that he offers us resurrection. So resurrection is not. It is not a souped-up version of what the old thing was. It is something entirely new and beautiful. And um, this is, of course, the ultimate hope for people who grieve, Mm -hmm. that yes, you can live live fully again. You can flourish after loss because God has built you for resilience, but he has also gifted you with resurrection hope. Mm -hmm. So you can live fully into that resurrection hope enjoying the gift of a new life that he gives you now, knowing that it's only a foretaste
0: of what is to come. Oh, man. For real resurrection. I believe there's a real resurrection that's in the Bible that's of right. our bodies. But the metaphorical, there, there are little resurrections all the time, right? The fact that I had to give up, not had to, chose to give up my anger. Well, I live a much more peaceful, meaningful life without that. And not that it's not there a little bit. It is. But in these, this metaphorical resurrection that we get to live, like the metaphorical death each day, I want to ask you an honest question. It's okay if it's not the Christianese answer, but what resurrections have you seen or have you seen any after Rob's passing? It's only been two years. Mm-hmm. Like, have there been healings? Have there been little resurrections that you've seen after that? Yeah, certainly. I think there have been,
1: you know, on a, on a tough day. I would say to you, no, everything's still dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just want to hold space for that because it is not a trajectory from sorrow to joy. It is a, you know, one day at a time and sometimes one hour or one moment at a time. But yeah, I've certainly seen resurrections in my own hopes for the future. Mm-hmm. I have seen the rebirth of gifts in my life uh, and skills that I had kind of left to to be dormant for a season, and I'm seeing those come alive again. I'm Seeing a renewed or a new sense of empathy for others, where, you know, I'm an introverted person and I find myself wanting to reach out more than ever before, which I think is in itself a little resurrection that death has broken me open and allowed me to see uh, the hurt in the world around me in new ways. And it's compelled me to do something about it. So, yeah, I think that there are lots of little resurrections. And uh, I'll be honest, I think there are a lot more that I probably don't even notice
2: Mm.
1: because God is making us new in the same ways that he created us. And that was out of dust. So there's going to be a lot of miraculous kind of growth that is all under the surface that you know, maybe years from now, I'll be able to look back and say, wow, this is amazing what God has done. Mm. And then other things I will just marvel and really understand when I see him face to face.
0: Yeah. It's okay if you don't want to answer this question, but I feel like a lot of people listening are wondering about your kids, that you have four kids and how has that worked? Feeling like you have to step up and and take charge, like being able to process, right? Like maybe you, there's a lot you haven't processed yet because you're feeling like you still have to be a mom. I mean, you do have to be a mom for for amazing kids how how have you done that what hope would you give for someone who's maybe in a similar spot maybe they've lost a spouse or maybe they're grieving something else but still wanting to be there for people who depend on them yeah it is very
1: difficult to be present for your own grief and also be present for those around you and you know there's some amazing research on grief and resilience and and Much of it, one of my favorite researchers talks a lot about how we need to, as it were, lean into our grief sometimes and then let go of it. So there are moments in your grief experience, if you're a parent or you're just trying to be present in the world around you, maybe you have work responsibilities and you just think, I don't know how I'm going to be able to go back to work. If I have these responsibilities and I also have grief with me and research, scientific research shows us that there are moments where it's really good to press into that and say, I'm going to go anyway. I'm going to show up at this board meeting and I'm going to give this presentation and I'm going to hold it together. And then it's also really important for you to take space away to let the fullness of your grief breathe and uh, and let it be and you know i think about people who are training for athletic events you know there are days where you do those heavy intensity workouts and you just push through and by the end you just want to lie down on the ground and pant and you know mm-hmm. <laughs> never have to move again and then there are other days always that are built in for rest you can't train for a marathon say with running long distances Seven days a week, you would exhaust yourself before the event even began.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The same way with with parenting uh, after loss or or trying to be present for those you love when you're carrying great burdens, that sometimes you will be called to lean in and press forward. And then other times you'll need to, uh, and I believe that we all have a good sense in ourselves for when this is, when we need these rhythms of rest and repair, some moments you'll just have to step away and say, hey, you know what? I can't do this presentation today. Uh, Kids, we're going to eat McDonald's tonight because mom can't cook because I need to take space to feel all the feels right now And, and to give them their space and their attention to. Mm -hmm.
0: And not comparing what you need to other people. Because I think we are usually innate knowing what we need, but that might not be the same thing as someone
1: else. That is so true. Yes. Yeah. And and you look at somebody else and they may be powering through that day and you say, oh boy, they're so strong. Well, maybe Mm -hmm. that's their power-through day. And maybe that isn't their rest and repair day. So yeah, there's always danger in comparing yourself to others, whether it's, you know, comparing your your start to somebody else's middle Mm -hmm. or whatever form that comparison might take.
0: Oh man, every aspect of life, right? Yes. So this podcast is called Heal. And I want to know, Clarissa. In the horrible tragedy of all of this, what has been the most healing thing for you? Hmm. That can be something someone did. It can be something that God showed you. What has been the most healing thing in the process of grief for you? Well, I think
1: in terms of of healing, I think the presence of other people has been the greatest gift. And and they haven't healed anything, if <laughs> in some way, right? Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, if if. If I, if I ask, if I ask myself, you know, is, is earthly healing the only thing that's going to satisfy me? I'm going to come up, I'm going to come up empty every time because the only way to really heal my sorrow would be to have Rob back with me again. Mm -hmm. And I can't have that right now. And so, you know, what, what can wholeness look like in my life now? And how can I pursue that? I think it's in the company of others. So the people who have continued to show up, even after time has passed, and the people who continue to remember me, who continue to remember my children and Rob, those are the people who have brought a measure of healing to a situation that really will be broken until Jesus comes again.
0: Yeah. So you talk about people remembering you as an introvert. Is there ever a place where you have or would suggest that you need to reach out to other people to ask for that in your life? Yeah, that's definitely, it's hard for, it's hard
1: for introverts, but I think it's also hard for grieving people in general. You know, lots of folks after you lose the loved one will say, you know, let me know how I can help. And that's really hard Mm -hmm. for a grieving person to do, to reach out in the midst of this, particularly in the at the early stages of acute grief it's really hard for people to do and that's where folks who just show up where they're they're bringing groceries or they're sending you a text that's a, really where it's a gift but as time passes and you get your legs under you a little bit and maybe you're walking wounded now and you're able to manage some of the parts of your daily life it's really important to find people in your life who can be sort of your dream team. And they don't have to necessarily be the people you were close to before you lost your person. It could be an unlikely set of characters. My dream team includes my HVAC guy <laughs> and my brother-in-law. You know, I mean it's a, That's awesome. it's a, a wide variety of people, but it's required me to reach out to them mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, you know what? I need support in this way. Can you come around me and and that to me. And it's a hard practice, but I think it's definitely rewarding in the end.
0: Yeah. So good. Clarissa, I have so many things in my mind right now and we can't get to them. So what I'm going to do is say, amidst everything that we've talked about today, what has God put on your heart that we just have not addressed at all?
1: Hmm. Well, I think the thing that I come back to time and time again is that we have someone in the midst of the loneliness of suffering, who understands? And I don't think any conversation about grief and loss and suffering uh – you know chronic pain would be appropriate to end without that mm-hmm. without that understanding that we have someone who understands fully what it is to suffer and who chose suffering as a pathway to be with us and so in the moments where you feel most abandoned to your suffering where it feels darkest and loneliest Where those times where it feels like there is nobody who could get how incredibly hard this is for me, Mm -hmm. there stands this one in Jesus who who gets it all. You know, grief may be an unwelcome companion in your life. It shows up and you can't seem to get rid of it. It's, you know, at the kitchen table with you when you eat and that chair is empty. It goes to the office with you and makes it hard to, you know, work at your desk and focus. And yet Jesus goes with you all those places too, So when you feel most abandoned to this unwelcome companion, know that there is another one who walks beside you. Mm. And this Jesus is one who knows entirely what it is to suffer. And he's the one that will give you wholeness in the midst of your suffering
0: and promises you that wholeness in eternity to come. Amen. Claire, so will you share the story that you shared? Because that, what you said reminded me of it with the mosaic versus kintsugi. Do you remember that in your afterwards? I think it's a beautiful, and that might be a beautiful way to, haha, punny, piece together the ending. There you go. Well,
1: uh, so kintsugi is a Japanese practice of taking a broken piece of porcelain and mending it together with gold. So you put it in the seams and you piece the pieces together and it's a thing of beauty again. And, you know, a lot of people use that as a picture of what suffering can do to us, that it breaks us open, uh, but that, you know, we have this golden lining that Mm-hmm. Pieces back everything together, and you know when Rob died, the pot didn't fall; it was demolished I mean it was crushed. There are too many pieces to put it back together mm-hmm. and Years ago, I sat in a mosaic class, and that's why I think the mosaic picture is such a beautiful image for what God is doing in our lives in the midst of suffering and as he brings us forward through it that i I sat in this class and we were asked to smash a plate. We brought a plate and put it in a paper bag, smash it with a hammer. It's a very cathartic experience, of mm-hmm. course. You know, Take out all your anger on that one. Yeah. And then you open it up and there's some dust that's totally unusable. You've got to throw that away. Mm-hmm. And there are some very big pieces where the pattern still shows, and then there are other little bits and pieces. And you're tasked with creating a new design out of all of the brokenness. And you know what God promises us in his word is not Kintsugi, really. Mm-hmm. He doesn't promise us that he's going to take all the broken parts and put them back together with seams of gold, and it's going to be beautiful and usable again. He says, I'm going to take everything that was crushed, and I'm going to make it into something new. And the new thing, you can't even picture now what it will be. And that's what the beauty of mosaics is, you know, in artistry. Much of what you have to do in mosaic is simply to let that design emerge because Mm. you're working with porcelain and you can kind of shave down the edges a little bit, but you can't actually change the pieces,
2: Mm. but
1: you can create something new. And as you put the pieces together, you start to see a new design emerge. And I think that's what God is doing for each of us. We don't yet know what he is making us to be, but we can be assured that even in our suffering, what he is creating will be beautiful.
0: I love it so much that got me because I, I actually did that same thing where I, I got some, I was making centerpieces for a retreat that never happened because of COVID, but I got a little Kintsugi, I'm butchering the pronunciation, I'm sure, uh, kit, not real gold, powder gold, but I went and, and broke these plates in bags and I tried to put the cup back together. And because of the powder, there's still a hole in it because you couldn't yes. have, I was not perfect at breaking them. And my friend was laughing because she's like, this is so funny because I'm like, they won't break the way I want them to break. (laughs) And she's like, well, isn't that kind of like life? And so I'm now going to, I think, look at stained glass a little bit differently and stuff because I've never really thought about they can't break it the way they want to break it. They have to use what they have. Mm -hmm. But God can make whatever picture he wants. That's right. I love it. It's so, so beautiful. Claire, so is there anything else that we didn't get to? You just have so much going on up there that I, uh, oh, I think that's great. You off. No, we're good. Well, thank you for doing this. We're so grateful. And I just believe this is going to bless a lot of people. Is there a way people can connect with you, follow you that you would lead them to? Obviously, I'll link Rob's books so people can buy those, but any other ways?
1: Yeah, definitely. You can reach me at clarissa mall, M O L L, malllikedoll.com. And if you are a person who is walking through hard things, then I would love to send you an email every month to encourage you. It's writing that only folks on that list get to see, so it's special. Mm -hmm. And just my thoughts on what it means to discover grace in grief and to find Jesus to be good even in our places of pain. So you can sign up for that there. And yeah, I would love to walk beside you.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure then they would be one of the first people to know about your book too when it's available. That's right. Awesome. Thank you for continuing to show up and listen to each of these episodes. As we wrap up today, I want to encourage you when this episode ends to not just let it roll over to the next one, to stop for a second, pray for Clarissa as she continues processing her grief and helping others process theirs. I have linked Rob's books in the show notes. Please get The Art of Dying. It is something we all need to read as Christians, I believe, to recapture the spiritual discipline. And I've also linked Clarissa's website where you can sign up for her newsletter, know when her book comes out and all that. And finally, please sign up for the Heal Retreat at thehealministry.com. We hope to see you this Saturday. Have a good week.